The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. I will not wear the mask. 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 I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above all. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this I hate the work of those who fall away. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmony sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will you, triumph in the works of your name. are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. 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 And with that, good morning, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, or STV, WXYZ people. All the boat rockers are in the house and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio. We use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown. I'm not coming to you live today. We're doing a pre-record again because of the time restraints of our guests. But uh, I am still coming from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And for Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as a authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here this morning. And uh, if you would like to check us out online, please do so. SonsOfLibertyRadio.com and also SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio, Head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. You can scroll down, and on the right side of the page, we will be going live in the second video section there down. Okay, So right now, it's got the video or the show we did on Thursday morning, and that will be live. Just blow it up. That's right. You can see the face it's made for radio, and you can click on the icon of the platform we're on and join us in the chat. Lots of friends in there, like-minded individuals, and uh, I think you'll make... A lot of friends if you've not been in there. Also, Bradley's show from the previous day will be in the video section right above that. And he goes live at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And then finally, if you would like to subscribe to our email newsletter, we don't read your email, spam it, or, or sell it to anybody. Well, you get one email from us a day, and that includes the morning show archive. This one, with all the links, um, anything that we talk about in there is put in one nice neat little package so if you say hey where can i find that you were talking about this or where can i pick up the book that we're going to talk about um, those links will be in there they'll be really easy for you to find and then last thing is if you agree with our message and you would like to help us we never ask you for money we just simply say we got needs Uh, obviously it costs money to do internet and to do radio and also to go out in the 50 states and talk to the people 
that costs money. And so if you would like to partner with us and help us, there's a donate button at the top of sonsoflibertymedia.com. You can click on that and make a one-time donation, or you can partner with us as a son or daughter of Liberty. And that's a monthly uh, partnership, and we appreciate all our supporters there. Our store is also available, and, well, I'm telling you this now. <laughs> I don't know, uh, because this is the show is probably going to air the next week, so we'll have a different thing. But at least the week that we're in, we're highlighting Bradley's book, Grass Doesn't Work, The Rocks Do. It's normally $11, and, uh, of course, if you got in before July the 24th, then and you entered the promo code love l-o-v-e you got 20 percent off on that book and we'll be having another one come up so what i'll do is in the archive i'll also include that whatever we're highlighting for the week i'll include that uh so that you'll be able to pick that up and the promo code will be there as well also it's sort of mid-morning so you may hear some noise in the background no it's not your radio acting up it's just my family everybody's awake and moving around and i got one going off to work here (laughs) and uh he's waving at me so uh it'll be a little a little bit different show here but i think that's okay i think you guys understand that now our guest is not new to the sons of liberty Uh, i first interviewed her when i was doing the show as setting brush fires and yes i downloaded that and i looked at it and oh we've come a long way since then uh terrible software green screen background and everything else and uh, But I got to tell you, it was one of probably, out of the hundreds of interviews that I've done, it was probably one of the top five interviews that I've done simply for the dramatic change in this young lady's life uh, that I'm going to introduce you to. Uh, from her bio on Amazon, it says, After overcoming the trauma of a challenging upbringing and escaping the sex industry, Deanna located to Kentucky. She has a master's degree from Asbury Theological Seminary. She loves research and learning and will likely be a student for life. She and her husband, Matt, enjoy traveling and exploring new places. She also has a unique love of alpacas. We're gonna, maybe we'll find out something about that. Not llamas. She wants you to know they're not llamas. And hopes to open up a working ranch one day. Her favorite thing in the world to do is play every carnival game until she wins a stuffed animal. In her daily life, her and her husband spoil their twin baby girls and their dog, Buddy, who looks like a real-life giant Muppet. And uh, with that, I want to welcome back to the Sons of Liberty, Deanna Lynn. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for bringing me back. Yeah, no, it's it's always a pleasure to have you on. Now, the first time we had just you, and it was a phone call, and then, I don't know, several months later, we brought you and your husband on to talk a little bit about, you know, mainly focus on what happened after you left the industry, the adult industry that you were in, and now you've written a book on that, and it's pretty detailed. I mean, I'm reading some of the things going, okay, this is sort of, some of this is sort of normal for everybody, but not for you, and there is a lot of distinction in that. You've written first, let me just show people, this was what you, we brought you on for the, the first uh, interview, and this was your book talking about how you, your, your early life and how you got into the adult industry, and then now you've written this new book called Integrated Living Beyond the Sex Trade. And so to help people understand a little bit about you, let's take about five or ten minutes. Can you kind of give them a brief background of how you got into things so that they have some context for what we're going to talk about the rest of the the rest of the show here? Sure. Uh so from an early age, about five years old, I was introduced to pornography and uh, had started learning that um, the culture kind of want, like that's what they expected from a woman. Uh, my mom was very open with her sexuality and she kind of used it as a way to manipulate after she had done things um, that were like really hurtful in her family and in her marriage. Um, and so from early on, I learned that there were like acceptable ways to sell sex and culture. And so by the time I was 17 and working in a restaurant where they exploit the women and people go there just to see women in these uniforms, I was entered into a swimsuit competition where the winner uh, won a layout in a, in a popular nude magazine. And so again, they had reinforced this idea that, that this type of selling sex was okay. Um, there's some pornography that's okay, uh, but there are other types that like we, we can't go dancing in the clubs or anything like that. And so it was a, a confusing message as I was um, in my last year of high school graduating early. 
And from there, it was uh, the employees that I worked with had introduced me to a young woman who um, had me modeling lingerie and swimsuits for her tanning salon. And this woman actually introduced me to a well put together man who ended up becoming my pimp and grooming me to be able to handle um, what he was going to have me do in California when he sent me to the porn industry where I stayed for about 10 years before I got out. Okay. All right. And that, that not only, it was, it was hard for you to get out. There were times I think from our previous uh, interview that you thought, Oh, I finally arrived. I've, I've sort of fulfilled what has been put into me from a young age. And, and I think you said it at around five, your, your mom was introducing you to porn and things. And so this instilled in you that I've arrived here, but then after a period of time, it was almost that you were looking for you were looking for a way out, but there it didn't seem that there were any choices. And a lot of people who get into that industry, it's very hard for them to get out and start something else. And so, but you were able to do do that. So let's pick up on that. You you went through ten years of being in all of this, and how was it that you found your way out? What was it that drove you to finally say, "I've just had enough. I, I I'm looking at all my options, and I'm." I'm determined I'm going to leave here. What took place there to get you started on this journey uh, of healing and uh, finding redemption in that? Yeah. So uh, a few things had happened that had kind of woken me up to realize like what exactly I was participating in for so long. uh, The people there were telling me that I was helping people. I was helping them come into their sexuality. I was helping marriages come together. I was helping couples come alive. Um, But what I was finding was that the, the opposite was happening. Marriages were being destroyed. Families were falling apart. Um, one of my fans had, had stalked me from across the country. And I later heard from his wife, how he came home and killed himself because his addiction was so bad and he couldn't let it go. Um, and he didn't really understand how to process that I was this real person and not this, this fantasy that was behind the screen. And there's this huge disconnect between, you know, like, like people saying like, it's not real. Like, yes, the, the, the sex isn't real, but the people are. And so when people come to that realization, it's really um, earth shattering to the point where, where some people, they do, they, they, they take their life. And, um, and so from that point, I realized what, like, I was actually, I wasn't producing life, I was producing death. And so um, the company that I was under contract with actually had given me a desk job. And I've got to say, um, I just recently read this article this morning from Refuge about a girl who got a $32 paycheck. And it was so empowering because after 15 years of prostitution, it's like paralyzing to try to apply for a job, right? Well, in my experience, what had happened is I started working, um, like gaining tangible work skills while I was still in the industry and also going back to school. And so it was the slow process of getting out, um, but I was able to gain some tools while I was there. And and through that, other women were starting to come to me saying, like, I want to do what you did. Um, you know, because like you said, there there's so many people that get in. They're like, I'm going to make enough money for college or I'm just going to do this for, you know, um, to, to pay off some bills or to pay some fines for jail or something. And then like decades go by, years go by and um, and they don't know how to get out. Well, I had used those as stepping stones to make my way out. Um, all while I was, I was still going to church. Um, you know, I was told like, don't wait till you're better to go to church. Like, just come, you know, like you don't, um, I'm going to take that analogy away because it's going to come out wrong, but um, yeah, they just said, just get into church. You don't have to clean yourself up before you go. And so I came as my whole self, um, completely messy. And through that, I started seeing what life could look like on the other side. And I don't think it was until I saw that what I believed could actually be lived out that I made the connection that there was a better life that I could be living because, you know, I was going to church for a while, but I still only knew one way of life. And until I had people who actually lived what they believed um, and, and loved the way, the way I needed um, that, that was the, the true, um, uh, what's the word lifeline for me? It was seeing that. 
Okay. Yeah. And I, you know, that's part of the problem is that people hear what we say, but they don't see what we do. And a lot of times there's, there's a disconnect, as you say, there's, there's hypocrisy that abounds. And, you know, I look at your story, Deanna, and I, I see you sort of like the modern day Mary Magdalene. And I see this from what you've talked about, not knowing you or anything except from our interviews and, and our interaction with some, some looking for some help for some other women that we've had on the show is I, I see somebody who's so transformed that you're basically unrecognizable from the life that you said before, but that didn't happen overnight. There was, there was a lot of, of, of fighting, a lot of discipline, a lot of struggles, and, you know, we recently had on, because of the whole Pride Month stuff, uh, we, we brought on a lady by the name of Janet Boynes. I don't know if you know her. She's a former lesbian who became a Christian, and she was saying the same thing. She said, I went to church, and I, I, I wanted out of this lifestyle, but I didn't know how to do it. And I and so the ladies of the church would welcome me in looking like a man and all this other stuff, and they would... She said, I would just naturally see them, how they worked with their husbands, how their husbands loved them, um, all of this kind of stuff. They would take me shopping. They would show me how to put on makeup and all this, and they were very patient with her. And then we had Greg Quinlan on the on the male side who was in the sodomite lifestyle. And Greg had a transformation too, but yet there was this you know, long transition of bearing the fruits of repentance, as John puts it. And you've you've had that too. Let's take a couple of things from your book. One of the things was getting work outside of there. There was an instance you talk about in the book, I think it's the first chapter, where you talk about going into a gym and getting a job there and how, you know, for I, I'm thinking even for my kid, one of one of my kids is actually I think both of them are going to work right now, but he was so excited that he got his first job. And, you know, it's like okay, it's your first job. I understand you're excited about that and everything. And a couple of weeks, that's going to kind of die down some. How was that experience for you moving from what you had been in to working with people as a personal trainer in, in this gym? Yeah, uh, it was, it was great for me to be able to So I had done some work in the gym before, um, but unfortunately, going from the sex industry to the fitness industry, a lot of times your body is still your market, right? Um, So I, when I came to Kentucky, I was like, I am not stepping foot in a gym um, because there's just a lot of sick things, even in the most well-meaning of gyms, even in Christian gyms where the focus is still yourself, Um, And that for me is a dangerous place to be. So being able to go into a gym where the owner had this vision of empowering women, like it wasn't a meat market. It wasn't a place to compete or to strive. It was simply a place to be poured into so that when you walked out, you could bring your best to, to wherever you were going. So whatever you came in with, like we were there to help you. Um, and that was, it was really meaningful to me. One, because, because of those principles right there, but two, because when I came out of the industry, people just assumed that my next role was to be an advocate for, for, um, uh, against pornography and all of this stuff, which is some work that I do, but it was really important for me to know who am I that has nothing to do with pornography. And this place allowed me to tap into some of those things where I wasn't striving. I wasn't trying to make it to the top. I wasn't making a name for myself. It was just a place I could simply serve and offer something to the community and grow into more of who I was. Okay. All right. And there's also an interesting story that follows that. And it it results from a friendship that you built with a particular lady, um, a married woman who had some, some daughters and they came to see you, and I just, I, I again, I, I'm kind of amazed at some of the the things that that you saw as this. Um, I, I'm trying to think of the word. It's so amazing that it was taught to you that people that I know, I'm in, I'm in the South too. I'm in you know South Carolina here, and you had this experience to where you were invited over to their house. Uh, I guess for for a meal and stuff, and some things transpired there, and then you didn't know how to say goodbye or whatever, and you just left, and your friend confronted you over that. And could you tell us a little bit about that and why that was such a big deal to you? Because I want pe- most people in the audience probably know 
how to do this. But there are probably people who may hear this testimony that you're bearing, and they're saying, I don't know how to do that either because I've never had these these kind of relationships before because I've been used as nothing more than an object. Can you, can you explain that to people, what went on and why that was so important? Sure. Uh, so we had built this friendship in the gym and um, I kind of just invited myself over. Uh, when I meet people, I just, you know, I just start to do life with them sometimes. And I, I wasn't even really aware that that may not have been like proper etiquette, but um, somehow I ended up getting to come to dinner with her and her family. And she trusted me and invited me into her home. And I had such a great time. Um, at that point, most of my relationships were like ministry relationships, recovery relationships. So to have this like peer to peer friendship um, was, was really pivotal for me. Um, but what had happened is at the end of the night, you know, they're getting ready for bed and it's time for me to leave. And I, I've never really known how to just say goodbye. And it's so uncomfortable for me. And, um, I think what was, was most uncomfortable is that, um, I didn't know how to interact with men. I didn't know, like, am I supposed to hug him? Do I shake his hand? Like what's appropriate? Do, do I just ask? Um, I've actually, I've actually done that before, like where I've asked, like, can I shake your hand or can I give you a hug? Um, and just let them make that choice. So what happened is I just snuck out. I snuck out and I sent her a text and said, thank you for everything. And the next day, um, and she is a very, you know, she's, she's pretty introverted. Um, confrontation is probably not her favorite thing, nor anybody's favorite thing. (laughs) Um, but she was just like, you know, Deanna, um, she, the, her girls were playing in the room, uh, next to us where we were at in the gym. She's like, it's really important for me, uh, to, to say goodbye. It's important to my family to say goodbye at the end of the night. And it, it's considered rude for you to just leave. Um, and she's like, and honestly, I really didn't appreciate you ordering my husband to get you water. And I was like, <laughs> you know, now most people would hear that and think, oh my gosh, like, like they would just die inside. But what I saw is I was like, oh my gosh, she cares enough about me. Yes. Tell me that these things are meaningful and that they hurt her and that we could work through it. And, and the reason that's so important to me is I've had so many people just drop me from their life and I had no idea what I did wrong. And she took the time to tell me so that I could either self-correct, um, you know, like I can't change my everything for every person, but I can listen to people's boundaries and say, you know what, that's a realistic expectation. Let me see how I can work on that. And and she gave me the opportunity to do that. And we are still friends to this day. Amen. I, you know, and, and that's something that people think when we speak about things and we're very firm in affirming what God has said about certain things, they think that that's hateful. And, you know, you, you've got you got two twin girls now that you've you've had since uh, the last time that we spoke. And you're you're probably going to see that if you don't see it now, that there's going to be times you have to discipline them and correct them. That doesn't mean you don't love them. It, we, we do that because we love them. We don't want them to be hurt. We don't we want the best for them. And so uh, I was interviewing a, a, a gentleman the other day and he said, you know, I was you think your parents are sort of, uh, you know, moronic or something when they're telling you not to do something. And then you get, you know, 20 or so, or you get up where you start to see, boy, they're the wisest people on the planet. Uh, you, you learn some of that as you grow older. And so I think that's something of what you're seeing there is you're seeing somebody that cared enough about you. That's not confrontational. I don't like confrontations either, but they're, they love you enough to say, you know what, I'm your friend. And I I'm telling you this, Uh, obviously she didn't parade it around in the gym or anywhere else. She went to you. And I think that's the biblical, you know, model that we have like in uh, Matthew 18 is to go to one another, hoping that we bring that person to repentance. We, we help them along to do the right thing. And so I, I appreciated reading that because I thought, yeah, in your, in your particular situation, the background, that means a whole lot. But for some people, because they've made everything about themselves, as you were making mention a little while ago, they focus so much on themselves that it's, it's this, it's almost like somebody threw a punch in their face rather than that they came alongside them and love them. And, uh, I, I'm sure that you appreciated that kind of a, a transparency. Um, mm-hmm. there's, there's some other things that go on here. Now you have a love for serving people. Uh, I think that probably comes somewhat natural. You, you gravitate toward people to do that. And you made mention of this in some of the interviews that we've conducted before. But if you'll remind people, 
What were some of the things that drew you in where you found a family? Um, you know, we call it church, not not the building, but the people to where you were able to to join in and utilize cooking skills and things like this to interact with others and to serve them, to show them love uh, in that community. I actually want to write a book about those experiences, a cookbook. Um, that'll be my third book when I, when I have words again, cause I'm, I'm fresh out after the last book. But um, yeah, one of the most meaningful things that I found here, you know, coming from California, I was on like this 80, 20 raw vegan diet and I was like taking supplements and drinking meals. Um, and by that, I don't mean drinking alcohol though. That was a part of my past. I mean like, like juicing my meals um, and all of that. And so when I came out here, you know, so much fellowship happened around the table. And um, now I know like, like the state that I live in is one of the unhealthiest states in the country. And so I, I know there's some work to be done there, but you know, like, like what's, I'm just going to use this language, like what's missing the mark for some it is not for others. And so for me, what I had to learn about being healthy is, um, is learning how to just eat what was put before me and be hospitable in that way. And so it wasn't like how much sugar was in this and how many calories. And I understand that that is, is a struggle for some, but for me, that was bondage. And so freedom looked like just being able to eat, start when I'm hungry, stop when I'm full. And so I got to go to these Sunday dinners with my mentor and her family and like, like 20 people would show up. And this is a family like, like no one is talking bad about each other. No one is gossiping. Um, they're not like, Oh, I've got to go to Sunday dinner. It's like, like they go to Sunday dinner and then on Monday they're back with pizza. And that was like to see family interact like that was so precious to me. Um, nobody was a burden. It truly was fellowship. And they included me in that. So by the time I went back to school, you know, um, I, I was in graduate school and I'm living in the dorms and everybody has moved from different states and, and they're like displaced and in their transitional time. I just thought like, what if I could cook for my roommates? You know, like, like two nights a week where they didn't have to worry about dinner. And because I'm working multiple jobs, trying to not go into debt, um, like I knew that would be my time to get to know them. Well, being natural evangelists, you know, we're at a seminary as, as people started telling other people and I'm cooking for like 16 to 25 people twice a week um, for the entire first semester and relationships had started there. And um, I mean, there were just so many meaningful experiences that happened around a home cooked meal and inviting people in like I could have moved it out in the lobby, but it was so important for me to just have the door open and people could just come in and out as they were hungry, go back to study or go jump in the lake with us afterwards. We needed a break. Um, and so that, that was pretty meaningful. <laughs> well, and it's, it's rooted in scripture too, because, you know, the first Passover meal is gathering the family, gathering the people of God together and eating and discussing the things of God, encouraging one another, reminding them of the wonderful works of God. Then we move into, and we, and we see it throughout the Old Testament, and then we see it in the New Testament too. We see the Lord Jesus sit down with his disciples. They're having the Passover meal, and that's where the Lord's table is instituted. We see the Apostle Paul reference love feasts, and he, he, you know, he gets on the Corinthians. He says, some of you are here, here to get drunk and to, and to be gluttons. Stop doing that. Wait for everybody. You know, love one another. Discern the body. And I don't think he has the intention of discerning, you know, Jesus's physical body. I think he has the intention of us discerning one another as part of the body of Christ. And so I think that's rooted right there in Scripture, the things that you're talking about. Now, this leads to some other things because... We had your husband on with you the last time we had you on. I think it was back last April. Mm -hmm. And um, that that kind of kicked off there. So you're you're in a position to where you're coming out of this old life to where you're, you're talking about this is a real sticky situation of trying to deal with men. And mm -hmm. I've had that too because not men, but, but the other, the opposite. Uh, because when I became a Christian, I didn't want to be around women at all because – I knew what I was. I knew what I had been and what I did. And it was like several years before I would even consider dating a woman, which happened to be my wife. And so tell us a little bit about how God brought you out of that. I don't know. I don't know what the word I'm trying to use, trying to think of here is, but that maybe some bit of a fear or a hesitancy about talking to a man, because all of a sudden you're sensing that, 
this guy who is your husband, Matt, is maybe marriage material, and you're wondering, how do I approach this subject because I want him to pursue me, but uh, I have all these these things that I'm dealing with inside as well. Can you elaborate a little bit on that and how that manifested out of making these meals for people? Sure. Um well, they say sometimes the, the way to a man's heart is, is through his stomach. And man, you feed them and they will come. Yes. Uh, so that that was very helpful in our journey. Um, but as far as getting past the fears, I'd have to say, you know, first it took observing what um, what loving men looked like in relationships. Because the things that I was afraid of and the girls that I went through the program with were afraid of were things that we had experienced with other men. And we found out that that we never had to worry about that with, with a genuine godly man. Now I say godly man, because there are a lot of Christians out there who are not, um, healed of some of their struggles and they're not ready for relationships. And so it, it takes some time to discern like, like, yes, this guy is Christian, but, but some of the things that he's saying and the way he's interacting, um, are not lining up. And, and then the other thing I had to learn is there are good Christian men, but, but not every Christian man is for me. So having to discern like, like, yes, this is a great guy, but I don't think this is what my future has in store. Um, so it took leaning in to some of those uncomfortable feelings for a little bit and utilizing this group space of, you know, this co-ed group space, which was the first time I had been in one in, in a couple of years because most of the places that I worked were like for women. Um, so here I am 30 years old and I'm like, okay, how, how can I tell if a guy likes me? Because a lot of the people here are genuinely nice. Um, and so not every nice guy wants to pursue a romantic relationship, you know? And so how do you discern those things? And then the guys there were equally like focused and, um, and didn't have time to sit there and wonder, like no one had time for games. Right. And that was really helpful for me. So, um, I just put it out there and, um, first I leaned into the friendship a little bit. And for me, it was important uh, I mean, I prayed every step of the way, like, show me how to be a godly friend with with integrity, because like it was important to not lead people on. And um, and so I made sure I was in safe settings as I got to know men um, and I wasn't I wasn't misleading. And so once I knew Matt for a good like four months, like we went to chapel together, we sat in the lunchroom together. We weren't alone together, um, creating like this, like really quick bond um, that blinded us to all other things. Like we genuinely got to see how we interacted with other people. And I think that was really helpful to discern, like, like, who is this person besides when he's trying to impress me. Um, and, and that gave me the time to do that, but it, it was uncomfortable. And I, and I made a lot of mistakes. Like uh, my walls would go up and I'm like, Nope, not ready, not ready. Um, and so he was kind of confused, but finally, you know, after we came back from Christmas break, it was like, you know, we, I know you well enough to know that I would like to pursue life with you. And for us, you know, we both had been engaged before. And so we, we took dating pretty seriously and decided, you know, like we have vastly different backgrounds. Um, he came from a, a wholesome farmer's family, was on track to become a pastor, um, had values that he already lived by, which was important to me to not have to try to change other men. And people have different theologies um, as far as what their values are when it comes to like sexuality. And so um, being able to see like what living like whole and pure for him made sure that lined up with what the way that I was living um, and so we had to have some hard discussions and we started counseling right when we started dating at the advice of my mentor and people thought we were insane and taking it too seriously, but we knew that we wanted to pursue a real life together. And with that, we had to learn how to connect when we had two very, very different backgrounds. Hey man, would you mind, uh, sharing with the audience what happened? There's a, there's a, a chapter that you're you're dealing with here on is I think chapter six intentional, and you give the story of how you go to the movies, but you don't go to the movies. Your friends go to the movies, and you guys go out in the car and you talk and you basically show them a short video. I think I've seen the video; it's only a few minutes, and maybe we'll put this in the archive so people see it. But you show him the video of your your testimony before the church of what you came out of, and did first of all did he know about that before you showed him? And, and I got to tell you, um, most people know that there are things that move me like the kids at the first of the, the, the show here. I get moved by those kids every time I play that, uh, sometimes to tears. 
And when I read it, uh, your account of what went on there, it brought me to tears too, because I thought, boy, isn't this the idea of knowing someone? Uh, you, you get down to all of the the dirty stuff that's in there, all the stuff that's clean. You're just trying to be transparent with the person. Can you give people a little flavor of what went on in that car? Give us the moment of, you know, where, where all of this stuff starts to come together for you guys. Sure. So it, it's, it's kind of sad, but funny. Um, I only knew how to tell people about my past by using this video, you know, because like I, I knew how to give testimony on a public level or in recovery or in the church. But when it came to one-on-one that, that extreme vulnerability, I, I didn't even know where to start. So after having been friends for an entire semester and came back and, um, we had had dinner with our friends and, and all of that. Like I knew that I wanted to let him into this part of my life. Cause I, I, I had done that earlier with, with another student and just felt exposed and it was too soon. And so I wanted to know that this was somebody that I really could trust that we were going to be genuine friends. Um, so I showed him this video and, um, and then we walked back inside just in case it got too intimate for me. I needed to be like in a public setting um, and and just gave him time to process like what he had just seen. And it just details that, you know, like how I got into the industry, like that, that I did sell sex for a living and um, and all of that. And he had he had known that I had probably had had a hard background um, because I had alluded to things in conversations in class and the questions that I would ask. Um, he he definitely was aware that there was something there, um, but allowed me the space to come to it um, when I was ready. So, you know, I asked him what he thought and he had tears in his eyes and he was just like, you know, I think that sometimes we just take God's grace for granted. Um, you know, like, like for him, like, like his supernatural faith was trusting God at his word and saying, okay, like, I'm going to live by this because I trust you. And like, like his faith is supernatural. He didn't need experiences and he didn't need to like go through all these things that I had to go through before I was like, oh my gosh. Okay. Yes. God is it. Um, and so for him to see like, actual transformation sitting there. Like he would have never guessed that I sold sex for a living. He would have never guessed that I injected drugs, um, that I was passed out in alleys in my own puke. Uh, because like you said, like my, like I was unrecognizable to the point that people thought I was lying about my past, um, which is kind of funny. And so the other beautiful part about that was, is I was prepared to have, you know, he, that was the night he had asked me out and said, I would really like to take you out on a date. And I was so nervous, like intimacy was was so new and uncomfortable. And I knew I wanted it, but I didn't know how to push past it. And I wasn't ready to sit across from him and look him in the eyes at dinner. And so, um, but I had asked him, I said, like, this is something that I want. Um, but I know that I, I want it enough to pursue it to marriage. Like, I don't want to just date for sport. And he said, I agree. Um, but so I asked him, you know, is there anything that you want to talk about? Do you have any questions about my past? And I'm thinking like he might have questions about, you know, um, health situations or repercussions from that kind of work. And he was like, I do have one question for you. And I said, sure, like, uh, let's talk about anything. And he said, we go to different churches. Um, Like, how do you want to handle that? And, And I said, you know, why don't we start there? Why don't I come to your church? And that can be kind of like our first date and we can worship together. Um, and, and that Amen. was how we started. <laughs> Amen. I, I am, uh, I'm moved when you, when you talk about this, uh, because I have similar things. This isn't about me in this interview, but <clears throat> you know, I, I actually proposed to my wife in church and uh, so I I understand how important it is to make that foundational, and I, I that's a that's a great thing. I think the the woman if she's going to go and and be doing that, she has to look at I'm going to cleave to my husband, right, and he's going to cleave to his wife, as the Bible says. And so these are these are steps that are being made there, and I think that's great. Now, when you when you have this, ultimately you're going to have to meet the family, so to speak. And so what happens when you go and, and you're meeting his family and do they find out about your past and how do they respond to all this as well? Yeah. 
So that's probably one of our, our worst fears and biggest hopes. Um, you know, having not come from like traditional family, I was, I was hoping that I would be loved and accepted and that they would be excited and, and all of this stuff. Um, but here's the thing. Um, Matt came from a village and they were a very close knit family and it was a small village. And, um, Matt was the first one, like he was already away for school. And, um, now he's met me. Is he ever going to come back? Um, all his plans are starting to change. Um, so they had, they, they had showed like initial excitement because when he had went to seminary, he had broken off um, his engagement and it, it was like a really heartbreaking end. And like all of his plans, like for his future, like are just up in the air and doesn't know if he made the right choice. And so he left for seminary um, really broken hearted. And so they were excited that he was like coming back to life again. Um and so I had come to a point in my journey where I had released that testimony on Facebook. And I said, okay, you know what, like, like, let's just go ahead and have it out there. I was starting to meet with students who were having like a lot of struggles in, in the sexual integrity department. And I just realized that, that my story was needed on campus. And I wanted people to know that I was a safe place to come to. Well, with that meant that his family had heard about my testimony through Facebook. And, um, you know, immediately Matt got a phone call and was like, what is this going to mean for your ministry? How are you going to take on a church? Um, this is going to kill your, your grandma. Like she's already got enough to deal with. And now like you're bringing this home. Um, and basically they had said, you know, like, let's just like, don't tell anybody about this. Like, let's just keep this between us. And which of course is impossible because my ministry is very public. Um, and so we had decided, like, we don't want to be the family secret. We don't want to be swept under the rug. Like, we need to be just loved and accepted as we are. Um, and so we had made time to meet with each family member and um, let them get to know me. And unfortunately, the only way I knew how to do that was just give the worst details, put them all out there. And it was just a lot for everybody to handle. And so they didn't. It was just, it is what it is. You're dating my brother. Um, and um and we just moved forward and nobody ever really talked about it again. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and that's a, it's, it's, it's kind of a sad thing, uh, especially mm -hmm. among those who might profess Christ is not to realize that there are people who have grown up in the faith. You know, I'm, I'm from a, a Presbyterian church. So, you know, we teach this thing about, uh, you know, our children that we consider our children believers and in the covenant. And we, we train them as though, you know, they, they are, they are part of that covenant and others have not had that. I mean, obviously you didn't have that, but we see all in scripture. We see people from the various backgrounds, whether they come at, from the covenant or whether they come from outside the covenant and they come into it, they all bring certain baggage with them. Even the best of them bring, you know, they, they have certain things in their life. We could, everybody knows the story of King David and some really bad decisions that he made, not just with Bathsheba and her husband, but other things with his children and stuff by not dealing with certain things. And so all of us have flaws that we deal with or our sinful nature and stuff. But if somebody's bringing forth fruits of repentance, that's the issue. Because if somebody tells me they've been converted, I'm going to say, okay, let's, let's see your life. Do you have, are those desires showing, are you bringing forth that fruit of repentance? If you're moving in that direction, then I'm, I'm going to come alongside you. I, I want to come alongside you in that. If you've got questions, if you've got things that you're dealing with and struggles, like what you were saying, you're ministering to some of these students. And by the way, just so people know, if they want to know some of this history, we covered this in the previous uh, interviews so people can go back and all some of all of those details uh, considering like I think you were in refuge for women for like a year learning just basic principles of how to you know cook and take care of things and uh, build relationships with people and, and, and such and so um, with that said now that this has happened how long is it before you guys start your dating till you get to the point where you know there's there's a proposal here and there's a wedding that's gone on uh, we probably, we dated from January 15th of 2015 to January 2016. And um, he had proposed in the chapel that we went to every week. And um, in January, we, our engagement was maybe like five and a half months. We got married June 4th of 2016. 
Um, we didn't really see a need for a long engagement because, um, to us, like, like we already had like the feelings, the attraction, the love, but love was more than that to us. It was, it was a decision and it was a commitment. And, um, so there, like we had marriage mentors and we had sought counsel. Um, he had met like everybody in my life and nobody had any red flags and we were willing to grow together, which is something that we're constantly willing to do. So to spend a year, you know, trying to plan a big wedding and like all this stuff, it just wasn't important to us. So um, we were, we were ready to get married after about a year and a half. Okay. And that was, and that was after four months of getting to know each other as friends. So I'd say we had a good two years. Okay. All right. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm of the opinion and uh, we just married our second daughter off earlier this year. Our first one was married. It's, I, the time flies uh, a year or two ago, but we've got another one that's getting set up to to get married, and uh, one of our sons is also looking. And I always encourage the the males uh, to take that lead. And once they decide, okay, yep, we're going to do this. Look, you need to make that as short as possible so you cut down on the issue of temptation. And because you guys already want to be together and you're better off going and doing that together rather than continuing on separately. That's just, that's my philosophy in this. And I think there's some wisdom throughout church history of men who pointed to, to such things, make those engagements as short as possible, go ahead and get on with things and uh, build your life together. So I'm glad to hear that. Now you, you guys were going to Asbury uh, college and seminary there, right? We went to the seminary, yes. Okay, all right. And in that, just so people know, that was where the famous revival took place years ago, and I'll have some links up if people want to read about that, just spontaneous God moving on the students' hearts and the faculty, and it was just is absolutely an incredible thing to read what he was doing on campus there. So you you graduate from there. I mean, this is this is the amazing thing. You go from where you were, now you're graduating from a seminary, and uh, what did you get from there, and how are you utilizing that now? Yeah, uh, so it was interesting because a lot of people are like, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now that you have a degree? And I'm like, what do you mean? The same thing that I've always been doing. For me, there's no dichotomy of like, this is my faith and this is where I work. Um, and you can see that in the beginning of my story. And so when I had applied there, I said, I am going to take everything that you give me, and I'm going to take this transformation and, and hopefully anybody in the world who encounters me will encounter God, um, having met me. So I, I don't think that's, that's going to be limited to like a specific vocation. I believe that like all of that transformation that happens there and all that I'm equipped with, like God's going to bring that to remembrance in different, um, circumstances. And I can trust that, uh, I did walk away with a vast awareness of how much I only know in part. Um, so it's funny because like you go to school, you get, you get 60 hours of credits, 96 for my husband. And you think like, you're going to walk away like a lot smarter, but I was just like more aware of like, oh my gosh, this is only like the tip, right? Like we just don't know in full. Um, but for me, it was just like all of that information was transformational. And it showed me that, you know, like all these, the, these documents, the Bible, these books, like they all point me to one person and that's Jesus Christ. And so how do I make more room in myself for him to dwell so that people can encounter him through me? And that, that's probably the biggest thing that I walked away with. Amen. Yeah, I know there are people who want to separate out secular and sacred. And for the believer, everything is sacred. The civil government, your life. Uh, your interactions with people, your your business, everything is sacred for the believer. And I don't think too many Christians really grasp that. They think my 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 uh, my spirituality is something that's very personal, and and it is personal. There's no doubt about that. But it it has this way of overflowing because, like you said, everybody you encounter, it's not like you have to read the Bible to them. It's your it's the love that you demonstrate. It is the, the it is the speech that you have that it's not speaking with corruption and things of this nature. It's being genuine with them, as the Lord has been genuine with you and has demonstrated His love towards you. And so I, I appreciate you bringing that out. That's that's a very important thing. Now, when you guys graduate, you've also and you get married. Um, there's also an issue that comes up, and for many women, especially in this day and age, uh, it, it's sort of a, a heartbreaking thing, and that's the issue of infertility. Do you want to speak to that and then speak how God worked 
through that uh, and and brought about life even from that? Yeah. Um, so family planning was a big issue from the beginning. Um, again, people have different theologies of, of how we're supposed to get involved, if we're supposed to get involved and all of that. And, um, and I was very uncomfortable with, with taking any measures into my own hands. And I just had to remember like God equipped us with wisdom. And so wisdom was telling us that having the background that I had and the mental struggles and the PTSD, um, our first role was to become family together. Me and my husband, we were a family now. And, um, and to get used to that transition, like I had to learn like what's going to be like living with a man. And, um, you know, cause my only experience, like I had very abusive experiences growing up and in relationships. Relationships. So when I hear noises around the house, like, how do I get through those triggers and realize like I'm still safe? And so that was our main concern when we got married. Um, so for the first few months of our marriage, we decided, you know, we're going to take some precautions. Um, we took non-hormonal precautions and, um, and just make sure that like we're enjoying our marriage and we are um, coming together and becoming one uh, strong unit before we brought children in. Um, the thing is, is my husband and I very much enjoy spending time together. So we could easily become this like introverted couple that just like goes off and does whatever we want all the time. Um, and so we had decided, you know what, like we're doing good and, um, and we don't want to be selfish with our love and we are ready to, to open up to, to what God has. And so, um, you know, I was in my thirties and so I decided, you know, why don't I go ahead and, and go to the doctor? Like, let's let them know. Uh, we'll start taking supplements, make sure our bodies are healthy to actually be able to conceive a child. Um, but through those visits, we had discovered that we had dual, uh, diagnosis and fertility. And, um, and we had talked right away when we, um, had started dating about like what family could look like for us and if we were okay with that. Um, and we, we both were very open to the idea of seeing how God was going to provide this family for us. Um, now me having not had any really biological relatives that stayed in my life, like I've always, I've always wanted to see if it was possible to have a biological family. Um, so there was a lot of things that we had to do in order to be able to pr- restore our bodies to a place where we would be fruitful in that way. And that took a lot of, of clinical procedures um, and a lot of them didn't work. Um, but for us, like we knew that like this was our whole offering and um, God was either going to sacrifice it or bless it. Um, but for us, like being still in our hearts didn't mean being inactive. And so we had action steps to take. Like when we wanted a job, we went and and we went on an interview, we applied for the job. When we went to school, like we did the homework, we got the degree. And so for us, like we felt like being still and knowing that he was God meant like, like we were going to be at peace no matter what, but we still had a part in moving forward. And so we, um, we had faith partnered with medicine and, um, proceeded that way for about three years before. Where we had our twins. Okay. All right. And yeah, we can go back to scripture in that where, you know, Jacob speaks to his wife and he says, why are you coming to me about this? God opens and closes the womb. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, you know, that's one of the things that, that I prayed. We've got 10 kids and I, I prayed when, when we decided that down that road, we were married about three or four months and the Lord was teaching us through Ephesians five about the family. And we decided to go down that road too, and just trust him. And I was, I mean, my wife was making more than I was, and the lawn, she was a lingerie manager at Walmart, and I was killing myself wherever I was for about six bucks an hour. And I'm like, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to trust the Lord in it. And I just said, God, I'm not asking you for children. I'm just saying, if you give them to me, give me the means to provide for them. And he's done that. He's been faithful in doing it. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that you guys were looking towards God in that to to do that work, but you're not sitting there just saying, oh, we hope you we hope you get around to it. Uh, you're doing your part in that as well. Uh, Deanna, we're, we're running up on the, against the end of the show, and I wanted to ask a couple more questions. I don't know if you got about five minutes that you can hang on with us or 10 minutes, something like that. Is that okay? Absolutely. Okay. All right. I'm going to give you about 20 seconds. Do you want to tell people where they can get your book? Sure. You can uh, go to Amazon. It's Integrated Living Beyond the Sex Trade. 
Okay. All right. And uh, you can also pick up her other book, the previous book, Purchase, Leaving the Sex Trade, also at Amazon. We'll have those links up so you guys can be able to pick up that book and, and learn a little bit more about uh, Deanna and uh, what she's been through and what uh, God has done in her life. And maybe you got somebody in your life that you need to share this with. Uh, do them a favor. I, trust me, it's uh, it, they're great reads. And I think they'll be a blessing to the people you give them to. Bradley will be on at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central. You guys on Red State Talk Radio. Join us on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com for the rest of the show. See ya. Okay, want to welcome everybody over from Red State Talk Radio who's coming over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. You can also catch us on BeforeIt'sNews.com. We're still up there on the front page and DLive.tv at The Sons of Liberty. Uh, Deanna, there's there's some other things that, that transpire after this. Okay, so we're up to what? I guess sometime around last year, uh, just after we talked in April, and you had not just one child, uh, you guys have twin girls. And um, what was that like for you to experience that pregnancy, to experience the birth? Because I tell people, you know, I, w- about half our kids were born in the hospital. The other half were born here at home. And I tell them at every time, it, has, it, was, it was a very spiritual experience for me uh because i've heard the people talk about you know well we come from monkeys and we come from the placebos or not placebos amoebas and all this other stuff and it's like when you witness the birth of a child when you actually see it happen it's like no nah, that 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 doesn't hold water there is something else there is a creator a designer that has designed our bodies as men and women to come together uh obviously in marriage and come together and produce children. And what was that like for you as a woman having the background that you've had? You've already you know, made this transition to where you're married, now you're pregnant, and to see God give you not just one child, but two. So I, I try to be careful of the language I use because I don't want people to think like, you know, motherhood was like the culmination of my faith or it's like my core identity. But I have to tell you, Becoming a mom um, really helped me step into like almost the fullest expression of who I am. Um, it's like I've always been that person, but I guess I, I just didn't have the children. Um, and it's such an interesting experience because I can't even like imagine uh, almost what I was like before my children. It, it was literally like stepping into who I was. Um, and I was very nervous about that because. Um, you know, having had the relationship I had with my mother and not having like really good tangible examples growing up and having no experience with children whatsoever, I had no idea how I was going to respond to them. Um, and so to have done, done some work during the pregnancy, before the pregnancy with God, um, truly offering my whole self to my family as, as best as I could, uh, I got to step into this really nurturing, loving part of myself um, that only God could have have made through me. Amen. Amen. And you had a lot of friends, too. Uh, I noticed I noticed that uh, at the time I was seeing a lot of your what you called your your eternal family uh, who were beside you. And so I'm sure they were a great help to you in that as well, helping you kind of get on track for whatever you were uncertain about. And can you can you speak to that for just a minute about how they helped you in, in that endeavor? Uh, so it was it was a little difficult because we had delivered right in the beginning of the pandemic and my husband just started his job at the hospital. And at that time, you know, like things were not under control. And so uh, it, it was chaos. And so my tribe couldn't really like come in the way that they had wanted to. Um, but people did. They, they stepped up and we, you know, prayed and asked for for wisdom Um, they dropped off meals for like two months and they, you know, when my husband had to work nights at the hospital, like they would come and give me just like a couple hours of sleep until it was like time to pump or feed or, or whatever. Um, and you're like delirious in those (laughs) early days. Oh my gosh. But, um, yeah, they just, they just came they showed up and, and I'm so grateful because we learned at the hospital that America is one of the loneliest places to have a baby. And I think that's because, you know, one, like people are afraid to ask for help and it is hard. It's hard to ask. Cause you think like, I'm the mom, I should know how to do, I should be able to have this, but I'm like, I don't, I don't have it. I need help. Um, and, and two, like, you know, in other countries, like the whole village raises the family. Um, and so I really just leaned into those principles and, and relied on, on people to, to help me. 
and to be, step in and become part of that family because our family is so far away. And, um, you know, my parents were very high risk. And so they had planned on coming and helping and they, they were not able to travel at that time. So I was really grateful for my church family. Okay. All right. And there's something else that people need to know, especially with this with this book. And I hope you don't mind. I'm just going to show just this little thing that you said of your dedication uh, here to for the book that you wrote uh, that we're talking about. And here's what you wrote. You said, I dedicate this book to our twin girls. We hope to pave the way for you so that you will know without a doubt you are loved, seen, chosen, and welcomed by God, us, and the world you brought us so much joy in the year 2020 when people were desperate for it. And I think that's a great way to put it because there have been so many people who've been oppressed, not only here in the U.S., but around the world. And the fact that you can look at that and you can speak that kind of life to your little girls uh, is a testimony of the change God has made in your life. Um, I've made mention that we read Psalm 127 and 128 at the birth of every one of our childs, every one of our children. Because we wanted them to know they were a gift from God, they're a heritage of the Lord, and that the man who has his quiver full, you know, he's a blessed man, that they're not a curse, they're not a, a, a drag on our life, but they're meant to enhance our life and to be a means of God, God's redemption to the world itself. And so I, when, when I read that, I thought, oh, we've got to bring that on the air because that really does kind of culminate a lot of this stuff. People are have been hopeless and hel- or felt helpless and hopeless. And that's not the message of the Sons of Liberty. We believe that King Jesus is subduing all of his enemies, that he's given us all the tools that we can take dominion in the world, and that there's hope for men. There's, it's not a hopeless thing of we're going to hell in a handbasket. The issue is the gospel is a positive message that is one that goes throughout the world, all tribes, tongues, peoples, and nations— and I think that's really what you're getting at when you've talked about all these other things. This is who you are. doesn't matter what your skin color is, what the gender is, or whoever. When you meet me, I'm hoping that you meet Jesus. And, uh, and again, I think that's, that's a really good thing. Now, final question here. If you can wrap it up for us. We, we kind of got through the issue with the, with the children here. What's your life looking like now? You're a mom of several months now, almost a year, I'm, I'm thinking. And, uh, and and a wife. And so what's your life looking like right now? You've taken on uh, family, and I'm sure that, that little girls, because, again, we've had 10 kids, are, are taking up a lot of time, and that's very, very valuable that you invest that time. Has that How has that impacted the other things that you're doing? Are you still able to keep up with everything that you're doing? What have you put off? What have you put on? And how are you feeling as far as certainty with your future? Uh, So I'm just really, you know, every few months, like we just add a little bit more back into our life, you know, like that first month, it was everything just to go to the post office and get stamps. Um, Now it's like, okay, like I can do some writing here. Like my husband wakes up an hour earlier. He spends time with the kids. I write for an hour a day. Um, My social life, like uh, we've been able to incorporate that back in. They're 15 months old now. Um, we've been able to incorporate that back in and it looks a little different. Like they come here or, uh, we'll set up play dates and stuff like that. But I do think it's important that my children see that, like, you know, I do have community and friends and all of that stuff because I want them to have friends. Like they're not going to be able to rely on me for everything. Um, I wish they could, but I'm just, I'm going to fall short. So I want to set that example of, of having that community consistently and, um, you know, I do work for a nonprofit about 25 hours a week. And, and my husband and I literally tag each other in. It's like when, when he's here, like, um, he'll tag me to go do some work and he'll feed the girls and then I'll come back and sing and, and we'll do nap time. And so just very intentional about like being there and being consistent with them, but also, um, you know, he has allowed me some space to be able to invest in other areas. And so we just kind of pray each season. Um, right now, I am able to do global conferences virtually, which is helpful because it cuts out the traveling. And it's really important for me to show people that we can move past the rescue into a truly rewarding life. And I think a lot of people get stuck just in the rescue, which is wonderful. I'm glad we're free. Um, but there's a life that that we can live into once we have that freedom. And I'm really passionate about sharing that with others. Amen. I, and and that was that was the whole purpose that I brought you guys on together. I probably botched the interview a lot, but that was my whole 
whole purpose in bringing, uh, you know, asking if your husband would come on you with you last time, because the first time is talking about you and coming out. And now there's somebody else there. And this life has blossomed probably far more than what you ever expected it to do. And uh, I, I think that's important for people to see because a lot of people hear a testimony. Oh, I was in all these bad things. And then Jesus saved me and they kind of leave it at that. And yes. they, they don't see the transformation and they don't see the struggles that they're real and the fights that we have against the enemy of our souls and even our own flesh, our own, you know, lustful desires that we sometimes have. They don't see that. And so they think this can't be real because I've tried to do these things that you're talking about and mm-hmm. I utterly fall on my face. And you're mm-hmm. I think what you're communicating to people is, no, it's not like that at all. There is community that is there to help. God's given us the church. He's given us those who have gifts in the church to equip us for the work of ministry, Ephesians 4. And so when we when we do that, when we're those who are truly repentant, the change of mind, we agree with God about what he said, then he gives us the tools in there, including the Holy Spirit, that we may be able to walk in his ways or, or walk as Jesus walked, as the Apostle John said. So with that said, uh, I've held up, I've held you up a little longer than than normal, and I don't know if you've got to take care of your girls. But do you have any closing words that you wanna you wanna say to people uh, before we go? And do you have a website or anything that they might want to tap into? You're talking about doing some of the virtual things, any of that stuff. Go ahead and feel free to to share that with the audience. Sure, I'll actually leave you with something my ghostwriter recently said uh, in her own journey. She had discovered, you know, in the Bible it says we go from dust to dust, right? But it also says we go from glory to glory. That's right. And um, and so the, the combination of the two, I think it's important. Uh, she was like, you know, some days we're going to be dusty. We're just going to be dusty and that's okay. Um, she's like, as we're traveling from glory to glory. And so I think it's important that, you know, when people are are coming to life as their whole integrated self to know that, that both of those are going to continue to come up. Um, as far as the website and stuff goes, I do have some social media pages on Instagram and Facebook and you can find them at, at purchased the number four good. Okay. All right. And I'm probably going to have to write that down because I didn't have that up. Uh, Or if you can send me links to them, I'll put them in the archive so people can check those out as well. Dion Lynn, thank you for taking time for us and some extra time as well, uh, you know, to to come on and be with us again. I hope that this is helpful, not only for people who may come from the background that you have, but there's a lot of things you've kind of hit on, uh, including us guys, of things that that we need to address as well. And so I appreciate you speaking out. I appreciate the uh, fact that you're willing to come on and talk about this. And we praise God for the transformation that he's made in your life and uh, and giving you a family. And now, boy, you got some arrows that you're going to shoot out to the world uh, for his glory. And we praise him for that as well. Guys, uh, 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central. Bradley will be on sonsoflibertymedia.com, right side of the page. Don't miss that. And we'll be back with you, Lord willing, 6 a.m. It'll be Rotten to the Core Wednesday because we're going to air this on Tuesday, uh, or we are airing it on Tuesday. I, the pre-records kind of throw me off there a little bit. We'll be airing this on Tuesday, and Wednesday will be Rotten to the Core Wednesday with our Common Core diva, Lynn Taylor. Don't miss that. Lord willing, we'll see you at 6 a.m. See ya.